It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That created stocks with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a fatigue, listen to yourself, to the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Speed it up and I've seen got no shoes. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, but the system gang the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the security it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a just journey of judiciousness in an unjust world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 700 articles, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I am Amy Alton an advanced registered nurse practitioner, and a certified nurse midwife. The Your hostess. Hostess, no. You with have, the mostess. No, Is that you what you no. were going to say? No, I was going to say your wife. Well, it is true. <laughs> it is true. She is so electric that my hair stands on end whenever I stand next to her. Together, we are the watchers on the wall. And we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a wistful wildebeest, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern, and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, uh, but we're here when it isn't. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. What's the drama, Mama? <laughs> we learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us. It's easy, and here's the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you exactly how. Absolutely. You can email us anytime at drbonespodcast. Find us on Facebook group at Survival Medicine Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. We have a Facebook page, Doom and Bloom, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy, and our video cast at AroundTheCabin.com. Wow, that is a lot of stuff, but you know what? That's not all. Our website at DoomandBloom.net has just about everything that you need to succeed, even if everything else fails. You can also check out our articles in leading magazines like Survival Quarterly, Backwoods Home, Prepare, Survivalist, Survivor's Edge, and Prepper and Shooter, as well as in links from over a thousand great preparedness websites throughout the interweb. 
You know, there are a number of pandemic potential diseases that are under relatively good control now, at least in developed countries. Smallpox comes to mind as an infection that killed millions in the past, but is now essentially eradicated. Now, but there are some diseases that still exist as epidemics in certain regions, such as malaria, and others pop up sporadically, but still can be a threat in a long-term disaster setting. And one of these is the plague. Now, why am I talking about the plague? We're never going to see a case of that, right? Well, wrong. Plague has been responsible for many deaths in the past in Europe and Asia, but it's still an issue in Africa today. And in the U.S., several plague cases are reported every year. Now, recently, a young man in Colorado contracted the disease and died within four days with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention now trying to determine just how prevalent the plague really is. Taylor Gaze, or Guys, G-A-E-S, he was a strapping six-foot-four athlete, six-foot-four on his 16th birthday. Wow. He died June 8th, the day after his birthday, from what was originally known to be the flu, but the real cause was only made public late Friday when health officials put out a warning that it was plague to make sure others who may have visited his family's rural home hadn't been sickened by the same infection. So what then should you know, Americans, about this disease? What's the plague? How do you get it? Well, the plague is a bacterial infectious disease caused by the organism Yersinia pestis. The microbe lives in the intestinal tract of fleas that infest rodents, especially rats, squirrels, rabbits, prairie dogs out west, remember, and chipmunks. Infection begins when a person is bitten by a flea that has the bacteria. It got the bacteria from a rodent that was previously bitten by another disease-carrying flea. Once in the flea, plague bacteria multiply in its guts and form a plug that blocks the stomach. The flea starves but continues to try to feed, which causes the flea to vomit, spilling blood and bacteria into the bite wound when it attacks a human. The flea dies of starvation, and the rodent and human, if untreated, die of the plague. Now, there are several different types of plague. The three main types are bubonic plague. Bubonic plague, that's the most common form. It's named after swollen lymph nodes called buboes, which develop within a few days of infection. These buboes are filled with bacteria, blood, pus, all sorts of terrible stuff, and are usually found in the groin, neck, and armpit. And they get pretty big, too. That's right. They get to be the size of a chicken egg. Oof. And they're warm to the touch. They're painful. And, of course, on top of that, you get fever, fatigue, head or muscle aches, things that remind you a little bit of the flu. And that's in a person with bubonic plague. Another form of plague is septicemic plague, and that's what poor Taylor Gaze had. Bacteria pass into the bloodstream, and that probably occurred because the bacteria entered the body through an open wound. Now, besides fever and other general symptoms, the toxins produced by Yersinia pestis cause a blood abnormality called DIC. That's called disseminated intravascular coagulation. And in DIC, blood clots occur throughout the body and may block circulation to certain areas that actually causes gangrene or tissue death due to loss of circulation in fingers and toes, even the nose sometimes. Once the body depletes all of those factors that form these clots Right, because it's using them up so quickly. Right. Then there's nothing left. Right, and bleeding becomes unstoppable and comes spontaneous and unstoppable into the skin, into the lungs and other organs. And this is goes so fast that death may occur the same day. 
The other version is also very highly contagious, very deadly. It's called the pneumonic plague, pneumonia, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yep. it refers to the lungs. Plague bacteria may enter the lungs through air droplets, causing headache, weakness, and difficulty breathing. Now, the victim usually appears like they have the flu, but the disease rapidly progresses to vomiting or coughing up of blood. That's also called hemoptysis. And if it's untreated, death occurs very quickly, sometimes the same day, as its airborne pneumonic plague is especially contagious. Bubonic plague causes probably about 50% of its patients to die if they're not treated. Pneumonic and septicemic plague have about a 100% death rate if you can't get to them in time. Now, the risk factors for this, in other words, are you going to get the plague? Well, the risk factors involve contact with animals, especially rodents, that might have fleas with the bacteria. Rural living, if you live out in the boonies or wilderness activities. Which is typically where people feel they're the safest. Right, you would think. Because you're not being exposed to other human beings, which may give you contagious diseases. Right. But in this case, it's the animals and their fleas are the ones responsible for giving you the the disease. And that happens especially during the summer, during the warm weather. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., living in the western part of the country is a big risk factor. There haven't been any cases in Florida, but since 1970, there has always been at least several cases, or have always been at least several cases reported in the Rocky Mountain states on the west coast and the southwest, deep southwest. Well, that I would understand if you're talking about Arizona, because generally speaking, they have a lot of hot areas, but the Rocky Mountains, I consider to have a really cold winter It happened in uh, northwest Colorado, in a place called Livermore, which is near Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. But this was recently? And it was indeed June So June. It was already in the summer. Okay. So is plague curable then? In other words, this young man died. Did he have to die? Well, before the advent of antibiotics, I would say that, no, it is not curable. But today, there are many antibiotics that will treat plague if they're given the correct drugs early. And unfortunately... Mm -hmm. Since it looks just like the flu, most doctors look at it and think of the flu before they start thinking of plague. And so it just took too long for them to figure that out. Plague can be treated with uh, doxycycline, Cipro, Levaquin, and of course can be treated intravenously with certain antibiotics like gentamicin. As yet, there are no effective vaccines against plague. Uh, You can find doxycycline in veterinary form as bird biotic. You can find ciprofloxacin, cipro, as fish flocks in veterinary form. Now, how do you prevent the plague? Well, good hygiene and sanitation, that helps prevent plague outbreak. These mostly occur, as you can imagine, in Africa and crowded, dirty, rat-infested populations. Hot areas, right. right. Exactly. Now, in normal times, you can prevent it also by keeping your pets free of fleas, that's going to be a very important thing, mm-hmm. and using insect repellent whenever you are outdoors. DEET will do just fine. Of course, if you have mice or rats in the home, then you should take measures to rodent-proof your home or retreat. If you go to www.doomandbloom.net and just look up the word rodent-proof in our search engine, the upper right of the main page, you'll find some articles on that. Hey! Hey! What's the deadliest <laughs> what's the deadliest animal in the world? The deadliest animal. The great white shark? No. I know. I would think something with venom. Uh, I'll bet you won't guess the answer. Oh wait. Um, um And that, my dear, is coming up next. Ah! <laughs>
Hey, are you ready to handle medical issues in times of trouble? Get a copy of our Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, and you'll get a head start in any disaster or epidemic. You'll get all sorts of important tips that'll help you keep your family healthy. And you know what? It's all in plain English. Imagine that. So put old Dr. Bones and that beautiful nurse Amy in your survival library. Head over to Amazon.com, get a copy, or get a personally autographed copy to you, sealed with a kiss, by going to our website at doomandbloom.net. And if you love your Kindle almost as much as your collection of Walking Dead action figures, well, you can find our book, on Amazon in digital version as well. Matter of fact, if you bought the Survival Medicine Handbook 2nd Edition from Amazon, you get a Kindle copy for only $2.99 through its Matchbook program. Check it out and over 200 five-star reviews at Amazon.com. You going to answer that question yet? <laughs> I still well, wanted a couple more guesses. Indeed. You want a couple more guesses? Okay. Well. I do. Well, I have, a qu- I have some questions for you. Is it the animal's own system that kills you or is it through being a vector and being... carrying something Excellent and giving question. it to you being a vector okay then i would say mosquitoes absolutely correct <gasps> really? good for you yeah. <laughs> yes mosquitoes good job Yay. you know bites by mosquitoes are indeed common vectors of various infectious diseases the good thing is it doesn't cause anaphylaxis, the severe allergic reaction you might get from bee or wasp stings. But the downside is that there are a lot of life-threatening illnesses that could be passed easily by yes. these insects. Yes. Increased amount of time that we're going to be spending outside this summer, as, as well as the possible aftermath of disasters that could occur, that's going to increase the chance of exposure to one or more of these mosquito-borne illnesses. So how do mosquitoes find their prey? That's you, by the way. Great. Well, I am the prey down here in South Florida. Mosquitoes love my blood. And we're going to find out why. Here are some factors that play important roles. Carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. from exhaled breath. That's one way they can find They find us. There are organic substances produced by your skin like that. So wait, you're saying we're safe if we stop breathing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hold your breath when you go to the lake. Let's put it this way. And run back to the house. Out of the frying pan, but into the fire. Right. (laughs) Organic substances produced by your skin like fatty acids, ammonia, lactic acid, humidity. Oh. Yes, because we are giving off humidity. Absolutely. Visual cues. In other words, they like dark colors. So if they see dark colors in daylight... That's going to be a little warmer, uh-huh. and that's going to send them off in the direction so, of the dark. So, crisp white cotton. What else? Oh, and you're not breathing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have some fun facts that you probably don't know about mosquitoes. <clears throat> the word mosquito is Spanish, and uh-huh. it just means little fly. Aww. How about that? It little sounds fly. so harmless. Right. <laughs> Mosca is... Fly and mosquito is little fly. Uh Now, in most species of mosquitoes, only the female will bite a human. You, I think you knew. Yes, absolutely. And why? Why is that? Because she needs the proteins in the blood to help her develop her eggs. The males don't need that, and they usually nourish themselves on flower nectar. Mosquitoes have been around since the age of dinosaurs. They're about 210 million years old. Matter of fact, you probably have seen mosquitoes encased in amber. Amber, right. That's right. right. Millions of years old. Matter of fact, they found dinosaur DNA from the blood of the inside of mosquitoes. Now, isn't that from Jurassic Park, the first one? Didn't the guy who ran the place have a cane? I think so, yes. And he... And the top of the cane... Was amber. Had 
I believe it was some bug, but I thought it was a mosquito in there. Really good specimen of it. It probably was fake, though. But we've seen a lot of those when we've gone to... Europe, I remember seeing some. Oh, yeah. Where were we? In somewhere in Austria, I think. Oh, right, where they filmed the Sound, Sound of, of Music. Music. Salzburg. Salzburg, yes. The average mosquito lifespan, less than two months. Males usually are only about two weeks. Females are about eight weeks, uh, more under ideal conditions. Now, the interesting thing about mosquitoes, they can't fly very far. Usually, they travel maybe a, a year, a mile a year. or two. <laughs> oh, God, uh, no, a monster right, species the, of mosquitoes. The, the top speed for a mosquito <laughs> is about 1.5 miles an hour. So, if you think you're being chased by mosquitoes, just walk faster than 1.5 miles an hour pokey wait and but then you're you gonna can, but wait then we're gonna put off sweat you can out and we're, wait and then we're going to put put off heavy amounts of carbon dioxide because we're huffing and puffing from running so you probably have a whole cloud of mosquitoes chasing, chasing after you us. but you're going faster which yes. is which is good now by the way i don't know if you know this but although we call them mosquito bites mosquitoes don't have teeth they have a long pointy mouth part They're called a proboscis stuck. right and it pierces the skin and they just suck out blood from that you. But they but they must leave a tiny bit of some irritant because that's why we scratch. Right. Saliva from the mosquito yes, that's right. is saliva. what causes itchiness. Right. You're absolutely right. Also, sweat. We just talked about you being oh. a favorite of mosquitoes. Yes, I, I, I don't am. get bitten quite as often. That's because our skin produces a lot of different chemical odors. Mm -hmm. 340, according to this article I read. And some of them smell like dinner to oh, the average good. mosquitoes. So I'm, Everybody's a little I'm different. the dinner plate. And Lovely. so you, they like you more than... <laughs> I'm the main people. course. <laughs> That's right. Now, mosquitoes are pretty impressive. They can drink three times their weight in blood. And you know what? In some environments, there are so many mosquitoes, they can drain a deer of half its blood. Oh. The Canadian tundra actually did an experiment with human beings found that people who bared arms and legs and their torsos reported at a certain time of the year about 9,000 bites a minute. <gasps> 9,000 bites a minute from swarming newly hatched mosquitoes. Oh! And that was in the Canadian tundra. And speaking of Canada, even though it's cold up there, mosquitoes like it warm, it may be indeed the mosquito capital of the world. Matter of fact, there's a, a large statue of a mosquito in a place called Comarno, Manitoba, which interestingly enough calls itself the mosquito capital. Oh, lovely. And Comarno in Ukrainian simply means mosquito. Mosquito. That's, That's funny. That's right. There's a lot of them in Alaska also. Yes. I re recall yes. saying. But again, you don't think of the mosquito as being prevalent in areas that you generally considered cold like alaska right. and canada I've seems like the opposite right. of where they want to live i've got another place for you mm -hmm. and it shows that these animals evolve quickly mm -hmm. in 1998 researchers discovered a new mosquito species in the london underground <gasps> evolved evolved from ancestors that flew in when the tunnels were first dug a hundred years ago once bird feeders, these mosquitoes now enjoy a menu of mice and rats and human blood. Oh, and, and of course that's where they get the infections that they can transfer. Right. And the strange part of it is Not that the they human don't... part, the rats. Yes, right. <laughs> and the strange part of this is that the mosquitoes don't interbreed with their above ground counterparts. How about wow. that? Their DNA actually is different from one subway it line to another. So... One subway no line to another, yep. So anyhow, let's discuss some of the diseases that use these insects as an agent. And one of the most notorious ones is malaria. 
Malaria is caused by a microscopic organism. They call it a protozoan. When mosquitoes get a bite of you, they get a meal, they inject these microbes into your system, these protozoans. Once in the body, they colonize your liver, and from there they go to your blood cells, other organs, all sorts of crazy lovely, places. Lovely, That's right. lovely thoughts. <laughs> when you get malaria, it appears flu-like. It classically presents as periodic chills and fever and, and sweats. The patient becomes anemic as more and more blood cells become damaged by this protozoa, this organism. And with time, periods between episodes of these fevers become shorter and permanent organ damage may occur. Diagnosis of malaria can't be confirmed without a microscope, but anyone that experiences relapsing fevers with chills and sweating, things like that, they should be can considered a candidate for treatment. The medication used for malaria are chloroquine, quinine, and quinidine. Sometimes the antibiotics such as doxycycline or clindamycin, we talked about doxycycline before, is used in combination with quinine or, or quinidine, things like that. Physicians are usually pretty sympathetic towards prescribing these medications to those who are contemplating going on trips to places where mosquitoes are rampant. So don't be shy about asking your doctor. Of course, if you can't find those, I said before, doxycycline is available, available as bird biotic. Clindamycin is another medicine that would work and is available as a veterinary antibiotic and called fish sin, fish C-I-N. Mosquitoes also carry yellow fever. That's a viral illness very well known for taking the lives of workers during the construction of the Panama Canal. Usually yellow fever, you wind up getting fever, chills, nausea, muscle pain, headache, and the symptoms go away after several days, but sometimes you'll get a toxic phase that follows in which you start having yellowing of the skin. You have jaundice, which is a misfunction of the liver, and that's what call, why they call it yellow fever. They think that yellow fever causes about 30,000 deaths every year in unvaccinated areas. There are vaccines that counteract the yellow fever virus. Then there's also West Nile virus. That's also passed on mosquitoes. The worst cases seem to appear similar to yellow fever and some of these other encephalitis type of illnesses. These viruses affect the central nervous system, your brain, your spinal cord, and their coverings and you wind up getting a lot of nonspecific symptoms, but you can actually have some damage that can be permanent to the nervous system. Muscular weakness is one, paralysis, decreased reflexes, sometimes even the disease even goes to other organs. Oh, I wanna talk about a number of other ones. There's of course West Nile virus, there's dengue fevers. The one I wanna talk about with the time that I have is chikungunya, chikungunya virus is a virus that traveled from Africa and has just since 2013 ravaged the Caribbean and Latin America. In this hemisphere, the number of cases was about 800,000 in 34 countries or territories as of summer of 2014. And during that same amount of time, there were about 6,000 cases of Ebola. Chikungunya is not as lethal as Ebola, but it can cause excruciating pain in joints as well as a high fever that remind you of a severe arthritis, but can last for weeks, months, or even years. Chikungunya is an African term word that means that which bends up in pain. Ouch. Uh, other symptoms include headache, nausea and vomiting, red eyes, sensitivity to light, and leg swelling. Chikungunya is really a true pandemic because it's currently in Southern Europe, in the Indian Ocean, Africa, Asia, some Pacific Islands, Latin America, and the Caribbean. Wow. 
So that is something that Ebola could not do, is to really get that geographic community-wide outbreak type of thing. There's no cure or treatment other than pain relief and fever control with uh, things like acetaminophen, Tylenol. But the disease is prevented by good mosquito control, as are all the rest of these mosquito-borne diseases that I'm talking about. And the lower the mosquito population near your retreat, the less likely you're going to fall victim to one of these diseases. So decrease the population of mosquitoes in your area, improve the likelihood of preventing illness by looking for areas with standing water that could serve as mosquito breeding grounds. They only need about an inch of standing water to breed. Drain all water you don't depend upon for survival. Monitor the screens on your retreat windows and doors and repair any holes or defects. Unclog roof gutters, which can accumulate water. Be careful to avoid outside activities at dusk, dawn, or early evening. This is when the mosquitoes are most active. Wear long pants and shirts whenever you venture outside in mosquito-ridden areas. And have a good stockpile of insect repellents. The best mosquito repellent is DEET. Permethrin is another one. Now, if you're reluctant to use chemical repellents, you can consider natural remedies. Plants that contain citronella can be rubbed on your skin or clothes to discourage bites. An essential oil like lemon eucalyptus oil, cinnamon oil, peppermint oil, geranium oil, clove oil, rosemary oil, a lot of different oils that have a strong scent to them, they are very useful. Now, one last thing to know that bug zappers are useless against mosquitoes. Less than 1% of the insects killed by zappers are mosquitoes or other biting insects. They attract and kill beneficial or harmless insects like moths that have no effect on the overall mosquito population. So the smallest organisms can sometimes cause, sometimes cause the most damage to your ability to survive in the aftermath of a major disaster. Learning more about these critters will give you a good chance to avoid infectious disease running rampant throughout your camp. Whew! Well, it is time to say a great big thank you to all the great networks that carry our show, especially the Prepper Broadcasting Network, the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central Radio, Shake and Wake Radio, and AroundTheCabin.com. Time for a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Our guest today is apocalyptic fiction writer A.J. Powers. A.J. is a professional video game developer by day, working on some of the world's biggest titles, including Call of Duty and Halo. A.J. has always enjoyed telling stories and in 2011 began writing fiction as a hobby. But it wasn't until May of this year that his first completed novel, As the Asheville, was released. AJ lives in the great state of Texas with his wife and two kids. He loves learning tips and tricks with about prepping and survival and tries to sprinkle that information into his writing wherever appropriate. AJ is currently working on his next novel due out later this year. And now, Nurse Amy's interview with AJ Powers. Hi, AJ. Are you there? And welcome to the show. I am. Thanks for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things, um, especially your book today, but I want you to talk to me just about yourself for a minute, and why don't you tell us about your worldview? Do you think things are hunky-dory, or are we going to heck in a handbasket? 
Well, I mean, I think that uh, there's, if you read the headlines in the news, you're going to be hard-pressed to make a good argument that everything's hunky-dory. But I, I think every day we kind of face um, anything from man-made disasters to natural disasters and you know, all the way down to it could just be something small and uh, localized like losing a job. So uh, the way I kind of view things is that you should probably be prepared for anything and everything that you can be uh, within reason and just try to live every day like, like it's not going to happen and then be prepared if it does. I totally agree with you. I think what you're saying is perfect. Just be prepared. You just don't know, right? Right, exactly. You know, it, like I said, it could be something big. It could be something small. If you're, if you're prepared to handle anything from, you know, a, um, like we've down in Texas have been getting a lot of rain and we had the tropical storm come through. You know, and I was hearing mm-hmm. all these stories about people rushing to buy water and food at the, the grocery stores, and I'm like, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to go fight the crowds to, to try to do that. And thankfully, the storm, at least where we are, didn't really seem to, to have much of an impact. But um, there's still that whole, you know, oh, my goodness, something's coming our way. we got to rush out and get, get things ready. And it's like, well, if you're already kind of prepared for that, you don't have to be dwelling on that, you know, every day. Um, you're ready to handle anything that might come uh, at a moment's notice. Right. That, that is the perfect message. And you hate to keep telling the people who go into panic mode that, you know, hey, dude, you should have thought about this before. You hate to say the I told you so when the mm-hmm. store shelves really are empty. I mean, if you had a serious category three, four, or five coming through, can you imagine? I mean, remember, I'm sure you, you remember the chaos that happened before with Houston. Um, right, yeah. But. Yeah, so you hate to keep saying it, you know, how many disasters does one person have to live through before they get on board and say, I'm just going to have some stuff. I'm going to put it over here. Right. It's just logical. There's Uh a lot of people that will go out and buy those things, you know, right before the storm hits. And then whether the storm hits or not, the next time something comes around, they're out doing the same thing again. (laughs) It's like, well, you know, it doesn't take much effort to have, you know, the, the bare minimum set aside. So right, you know, at the very least, right. be prepared for, you know, for at least a, a few days without needing to go to the store. Exactly. And, and, and that should be everyone's basic plan. For those of us that are a little more into it, we go, you know, more extensive, but at least have a week, two weeks. Um, and I, I think that's a very good message, AJ. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about what got you interested in being prepared and in the preparedness community? You know, it kind of sends back to 9-11. Um, I was actually in high school, and um, I, was, I was cleaning office buildings with my sister-in-law. And um, it was mm-hmm. that evening we, um, we were going to clean some buildings, and um, I just remember seeing lines out of the gas station. The gas prices were skyrocketing. People were really panicked. You know, like I'm assuming that the mentality was if there's more strikes, you know, are we going to have food or gas and water to, to last us through attacks that might occur? And right. so that was kind of like eye-opening for me. And I actually, we cleaned um, an office building that uh, was owned or run by the federal government and it was completely shut down. Like usually there's people kind of wandering around and there was nobody there. And it was just kind of this ominous feeling like, wow, you know, this is, this is a really big deal. So then Katrina hit, and that was obviously more localized to the Gulf Coast, but it was it was still you know, obviously broadcasted all over the world about you know the, the things those people were going through and seeing the 
the lack of, of food and water and supplies that they were able to get to people, knowing that store shelves were emptied and with all the damage that had been done, they weren't going to be restocked anytime soon. And so that was also eye-opening. And then just over time uh, in the last few years, uh, I came across a couple of YouTube channels, uh, Doom and Bloom being one of them, obviously, and um, <laughs> just realized, like, hey, you know what? It's probably not a bad idea to get some of the, the essentials covered for a rainy day. Like I said before, you never know what's going to come down the pipe. And I want to be as prepared as I can be to take care of my family. You know, it doesn't have to be overboard. I know that plenty of people are love to poke fun at preppers, and they kind of pick the people who are really big into military stuff, and they're mm-hmm. wanting to go out and buy armored cars and stuff. Uh. And it doesn't have to be that way, right? It, it's really about just being able to weather the storm. And um, whether it's a short-term thing like a, a, you know, even a blizzard or, you know, an ice storm, especially mm-hmm. here in Austin, we get a lot of ice storms. Um, and, again, it's the same thing. People run out an hour, a couple hours before the, the snow is st- supposed to fall and trying to buy up everything they can. And, you know, I'd rather just be at home with my family. Oh, I think that is the safest and smartest thing to do. So it sounds like you're an actual prepper who likes writing versus a prepper who thinks survival is a cool subject. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been, you know, doing, I've been preparing probably about the same amount of time that I started writing. Um, and um, so it was, it, it kind of just came naturally like, um, hey, you know, it, pre- preparing a lot of it is research and a lot of it is um detailed list, things like that. And it's like, well, it sure. kind of goes hand in hand with writing. And sometimes, you know, when you're creating a, um, a history for your world, your, your universe, and, and backstories about characters and things like that, um, you know, you get into some detailed information like that and cross-referencing things. And it's like, oh, you know what? This is kind of fun, fun thing to do. Um, and so it just kind of naturally went hand in hand with writing. Absolutely. Now, uh, when did you decide to start uh, putting pen to paper and and start writing about? Well, I'm you know if you wrote something else, I'm writing about that. But but especially this book. What what prompted you to write this book? Uh, so one of the things um, that you'll see throughout the book is that the characters do a lot of walking. Um, since there's no you know it's been seven years since the disaster struck. Uh, there's not really any vehicles or. Uh, any means of transportation other than horse, and most people don't have that luxury. And so um, I do a lot of walking at work over lunch. I'll go out and walk sometimes three or four miles. So while out on a walk one time, I just started thinking, well, what if there's, I wrote a book about a character who had to do a lot of walking. And I don't know why that came to my head of all things, but then (laughs) that kind of translated into, okay, there's no cars. So if there's no cars, why is there no cars? And came up with the backstory there. And then just kind of had this idea of like, you know, what if there's a guy with uh, with some superior firepower, and he's he's a younger guy, and he's he's alone, um, but when he's outnumbered, he's got he's got better firearms. And I kind of go into how that came about in the book, but um, I, I had only written a chapter or two, and decided, well, you know, this really isn't what I'm feeling like writing right now. Mm-hmm. And so my wife asked if she could read it. And so she she read over it, and and uh, when she finished, she looked at me and said, "Oh, you're writing the rest of this book because I want to know how it ends." 
And so you I'm like, gave, you gave her a teaser. That was it. You were exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I'm writing the rest of this book. So. There you go. Um, yeah, I started last March, I think, March or April. Um, wow. And between, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happened, um, you know, in my day job, and then my um, I had freelance work on the side, and then my son was born. So lots of chaotic events in between. So it took um, a year to get out. But Yeah. Uh, can we just mention having an infant sort of usually derails writers for several years, not weeks. So yes. well, good job. <laughs> I, it, I think if I had just been starting it when he was born, it probably would have never happened. But I had enough yeah. momentum that I eventually got back into it. So. Oh, good. Because um, not getting any sleep ever with an infant, a newborn, sort of doesn't lead to brain function when you're writing a book. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> fortunately, my wife was, was awesome during those stages, and, and most of the time I got to sleep through the night. So. Oh, was, yay. Yeah, I was able right, to, well, to function job. somewhat normally. <laughs> good job, wife. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs someone like that. Um, exactly. I think I did I did help uh, my husband when uh, he wrote the bulk, bulk of our book. I was mostly the um, herbalist and uh, sort of the consultant, and I helped him do um, research for all of the issues as we were going through. And then we would sit and brainstorm, okay, uh, we have this problem, and now we don't have a hospital. We don't have any equipment whatsoever. What are we going to do? And, you know, sometimes we just look at each other and go, uh, you know, and I throw something out, and he throws something out, and then these, you know, ideas would just start coming because nobody teaches you this in school, and it's really quite hard. But let's get back to you, Beth. Why don't you give us an overview a teaser, because all of the listeners, you're going to have to go buy this book if you want to find out all of the cool stuff that happens. But give us an overview of the story in As the Ash Fell. The story takes place uh, about seven years after there's a, an event of heightened seismic activity around the world. Mm-hmm. Big, big earthquakes start um, ripping, especially up in the Pacific Northwest, and then it spreads to San Andreas, which causes all sorts of havoc and and this becomes a global issue for several weeks. After a few weeks, then some volcanic activity starts to rise. Multiple super volcanoes around the world erupt, um, most notably Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. And during their eruption, they, it just fills the atmosphere with lots and lots of ash. Sure. Um, this causes a um, plummet in temperatures around the globe, I guess sort of a, a global cooling, if you will, but there's not a ton of... Um, I guess, historical records about what would happen if supervolcanoes erupt and what would do to the atmosphere and to the, the climate. But I believe there was one in the 1800s. I can't remember where it was, um, but it was somewhere pretty much halfway around the, around the world. And when it erupted, um, apparently that year in July in Boston, there was record, uh, a record of snowfall. Right, and yeah. Was, I think it, it had like a little mini ice age or something. Yeah, it, it you know, and that was you know that was a smaller one uh, around you know halfway around the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but even that caused such you know such a, a crazy event as snow in July. Um, yeah. So the thought of like multiple, especially Yellowstone, which you know is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, supervolcano mm-hmm. on the Earth, um, just the amount of devastation that would that would come with that. So the world is pretty much cooled down. It falls around a, a character, a young man named Clay 
who is living in Texas, which um, because of the, the climate change is uh, pretty much a frozen wasteland for half the year. He and his sister Megan live at the top of a 16-floor uh, office building, and over the years they've rescued various orphaned children whose parents have died uh, for various reasons or they've even just been abandoned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and instead of just letting these kids defend for themselves, uh, Clay and Megan have taken them in and, and uh, given them a safe place to, to stay. Because of the fact that you know, over years, uh, cooler temperatures, the, the destruction from the earthquakes, just, there has just been, uh, and then obviously the civil unrest that kind of follows that, there was a, a big die-off in the Earth's population. And so, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a bleak situation, and there's not really any government there's no uh, rule of law, and so it's kind of up to every uh, every individual to take care of, of his family. And so uh, Clay is out many times, and uh, uh, much of the year, or much of the year that he's able to travel anyways, uh, looking for food and supplies, hunting, uh, bartering, anything he can do to, uh, to provide for his family during the winter months. He's kind of gotten used to that life, you know, even though it's, it's a stressful one for sure. You know, there's, it comes with lots of loss and heartbreak. Seven years into this, he meets a girl named uh, Kelsey. He rescues her from uh, a group that is trying to attack her. And uh, as he learns more about her, he starts to fall fall in love with her. I was surprised that I actually went that route. I was oh, not expecting that. No, but, uh, but I love that, little, that love story part of it. <laughs> I was definitely not expecting to go that route with this. Uh, you know, I was like, hmm, post-apocalyptic romance. I did not see that coming. <laughs> But, uh, you know, he meets her and, and um, starts to fall for her and, and learns more about her. And um, She's staying with a, a man named Watson who has a little community on his ranch. Um, and you know, he gets to know Watson. And even though Watson is a, is a good trading uh, ally, he's got a lot of um, uh, fresh produce and he's got some uh, dairy cows and this stuff that Clay and, and Megan haven't seen in years and years. He starts to find out a little bit more about this guy and, decides that, you know, he's not so sure about, about his intentions and, right. and things just start to kind of heat up from there and he finds out why Kelsey has to stay at that place. It just, yeah, it just kind of builds up from that point. I like the way you develop the story. We don't want to give away the end, <laughs> but these people have some uh, hard times ahead of them. And everyone, if you want to find out what happens to Clay and Megan and Kelsey and the children that they're watching over, I thought that was really interesting that you, you know, most of these survival fiction books revolve around a lot of adults, a lot of um, adult interaction, and usually it's not very good. You know, there's fighting and jealousy and, you know, people are trying to have power over each other, that you made these two characters kind of maternal and paternal, you know, that they were, they were there to help take care of children. I, I, I thought that was very interesting. You want to tell a little more about I, it? Or you want yeah, to I was just it? saying, you know, it, it was, I will say that a lot of it came from uh, just the, the feelings that I had becoming a father. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my daughter was born, she's almost three now, so... Uh, she was born about a year before I started, year and a half. But I was just overwhelmed with becoming a father in a good way. And so I, I started thinking about that. And it's like, you know, even when you watch like movies and TV shows that are set in a post-apocalyptic world, they they have kids, but they're typically secondary actors um, or secondary yeah. characters. Um, you get a little bit of that in, like, Walking Dead, but 
you know, for the most part, it's it's never. I've not really seen a lot of that. And then I watched The Road, and just just seeing uh-huh, that, yes. like, you know, it, it was like this, this story was about the father and son, and the world they lived in was just the backdrop. And I really uh-huh. I really appreciated that, you know, the, the way he wrote that. So I, I kind of used Except that as, for the as end. inspiration. <laughs> Well, yes. <laughs> we won't we won't give anybody a spoiler, but um, yeah, there were some tears shed on my end there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really like that you you had children in there. So you give a lot of detail about the day to day life survival, and of course, most people when they start reading these survival fictions, uh, because there are a lot of adult conflicts. There's a lot of fighting guns and knives and everybody wants to kill each other instantly and pretty much every other page is either someone dying or someone getting you know shot and has a slow death or stabbed or kidnapped or how's the the day-to-day descriptions of survival in your book is there a lot of that or is it more just about survival in not an okay corral situation I eventually approached the book. Uh, initially, like I said, I was actually going to make like Clay this action hero guy that couldn't be touched and always making the right decisions. <laughs> and you know, he he was like the James Bond of the of the post-apocalyptic world. And as I started <laughs> writing that, I was like, I don't want to read this, right? I don't want to read about a character that's just completely flawless and can't be can't be touched. Superhero, so, right? Superhero. Yeah, exactly. So I made him, you know, obviously a lot more flawed, and and um, he you know, he was far from perfect. But with that, you know, I, I went towards more of a of a drama approach, and and not so much mm-hmm. of like a heavy action. So as a result, you know, a lot of the the scenes um, are character development, and so there are a lot of scenes where the the reader is just is falling around the, the one character or another, and as in and learning more about them, and whether that's through um, narrative or through dialogue, so there's plenty of that in there, but. I didn't want it to get to the point where it was just scene after scene of just traveling. Um, I wanted to have the action in there. And so I tried to make sure that when there were several scenes in a row that were more of the traveling aspect, there were there was bits of action in there. There were gunfights, there were fistfights, right. things of that nature. Right. And so... Right. Peppered. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, didn't want it to, I didn't want it to be stale, but I didn't want it to be become an action flick or an action story again. I was actually really worried about that, um, but several of my beta readers, when they when they got back to me, they felt that it was actually pretty pretty appropriately distributed. One was worried about the traveling and just kind of following around the characters, following around scavenging or bartering and hunting, kind of the same things. They said they were getting worried about that would that would become stale, but the character development during those scenes kept them very engaged. So, good. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of the the traveling and and kind of hunting and scavenging. Um, I also try to fill those times with little tidbits of prepper uh, tips. And so there's a little bit of learning in there, hopefully, uh, just little things that you might go, oh, didn't know that. So, yeah, but then uh, at, at a certain point, the tide starts to turn and things start to pick up a bit more and, and the action becomes a little bit more prevalent. And so hopefully it's going to be something that will uh, – the, the aim was to have people who don't normally read post-apocalyptic be able to enjoy that, that the book. And for those that do read it, not be bored by the book. So I was trying to find that balance, and hopefully I struck it. I think you did. No, I I, I think you did. I I think, you know, I have to say when I watch things like uh, Game of Thrones or (laughs) Walking Dead, 
I'm always like, okay, who's going to get killed this time that I'm now right. attached to? You know, it's like, oh, Nobody's no, safe. Oh, don't kill this character. I can't stand it. You know, oh, it's it's gut-wrenching. I can't say it's entirely enjoyable. I just saw a season five finale on Sunday, and I wanted to shoot my television. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, no! Anyway, we can't tell anybody what we're talking about. You guys are going to have to watch it. Sorry. <laughs> do you watch Game of Thrones? I do not. Okay. All right. Well, you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, was... Well, I've heard. I've been seeing it on the Internet. So okay. I, you're, okay. You're having the same reaction everybody yeah. else is. Ah, how can they do that? <laughs> it's like there's another part, um, not to deviate too much, but it's <laughs> making me crazy, is the, the Red Wedding scene when they killed like five characters that I was attached to like (laughs) they have to stop doing this anyway so the main character Clay he lives in this building he's got all these children and he's with his sister um and he's you know falling in love with Kelsey but he doesn't belong to a community but there actually are communities in your book like that one uh, at the ranch that he's trading with now why didn't your hero join one of those communities? And is he a lone wolf? Uh, so he's not, he's not really a lone wolf. Uh, I think the, not necessarily his mentality, but when the eruptions happened and, and the, you know, the end of the world came in, mm-hmm. uh, he was living in his house with his um, sisters and his mother, and mm-hmm. um, their, their father had uh, left to go help with the, uh, the relief efforts. Um, on the west coast and he uh he never returned because the the eruptions happened after that after a few years in their house they were forced to abandon the house um, through uh, outside means as a result clay just wanted to find anywhere that would be safe for the family at the time Uh, Mm -hmm. so they end up finding this office building Uh, they get to the top quickly secure it get things comfortable essentially and it got to the point where it was like okay we're we're safe up here there's not been any issues uh, since we've moved here, and so I think it was, you know, it was more of a, not that he didn't want to be part of another, of, of a bigger community, but it was just that the logistics of moving all the kids, all their things, just was right. kind of a daunting task. That they basically had a good thing going, and they just decided not to, uh, not to change things up. Well, safety is certainly one of your number one priorities, and like you said, the lo- lo- logistics of moving children throughout forest or or whatever it is that they would have to have travel through to get there uh, probably did not have good people around the corner. Going back to that main villain who's a dictator, you have him and he's you know the bad guy, but you also have what's called screamers, which are right. random killers that run the countryside. Tell us about these and and how you came up with these screamers. At some point when I first started set out to write, I was thinking, well, you know, a lot of post-apocalyptic stories have, like, the bandits. You know, the guys are just a little rough around the edges, and they're not afraid to, to get into a shootout and even kill you if they need to. But they're ultimately, they're killing to, to survive. And then mm-hmm. you get other post-apocalyptic books, like the zombie books, where it's just like, we're mutants and things that are just like, they just want to kill anybody and everybody. And so I was like, well, it might be interesting to have kind of like a blend between the two, um, to have this, you know, essentially a zombie that could be believable in, in, in a real-world scenario. And so the Screamers are, are a group of, as I've worried them once or twice, sadistic night dwellers. Mm-hmm. And they basically, there's very little known about them. They come from all different backgrounds. 
it's not like it's just escaped mental patients or people from prison. Uh, they have all these people that essentially it's, if they show the interest to, to join them in their cult-like behavior, uh, then they, they go through initiation rites and things of that nature. But essentially their mentality is to be brutal. They come out at night only. And so they just kind of prey on uh, anybody and everybody that they can find. That kind of forces um, most people to try to stay indoors or stay in a safe area uh, while, while nighttime is, is upon them because if they don't, uh, they're going to find themselves surrounded by a group of these guys pretty quickly. Which does not sound very fun. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, guys, you're going to have to read the book to find out the end of this. But are you going to write another book? Currently, I am uh, working on a sequel. Um, I'm hey. still kind of fleshing it out to kind of see how things go. So um, I've actually not not announced that. So this is the first place that, that I've talked about it officially. Um, oh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, taking place right after the epilogue of the first one ends. And so hopefully I'm about a third of the way through. I'm still kind of, like I said, feeling it out and making sure that, that I'm going to um, finish with this current direction. But uh, hopefully, if all goes well, it will be out sometime later this year. Oh, fantastic. Well, I have to tell you, if we ever did have a situation where we had the super volcanoes, especially even if it's just Yellowstone, I mean, that would devastate the world. It would be so, yeah. and it wouldn't. It, it was not going to go away in a week or a month or a year. It's going to be many years. It's going to be an entire different way of living for right. generations and generations and generations. I mean, probably well, hundreds of years. For a while, anyways, it would make yeah. it really difficult for air travel. Um, you know, there, there's already volcanoes, just regular volcanoes, when they're erupting, the planes can't fly through that area because the ash builds up real quick in the engine and causes a yeah. stall out. And then you get issues like, you know, with, with a super volcano where it's actually going to change the climate. Oh, sure. Um, and so Difficult there's all these growing things that, food. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then food that you can grow, you're going to probably get a residual ash type paste that comes down. And it's just, it would not be pretty if, it, if that actually happened. Right, and how much sunlight is the the plant actually going to get to be able to produce food? Uh, livestock, are, you know, how are they going to survive in colder climates with less food? I mean, it's just it opens up a whole world of hurt. I'm glad you're continuing the characters. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let's tell people, AJ, how they can connect with you and where they can get a copy of As the Ash Fell. If you go to uh, www.ajpowers.com, that has um, pretty much all my contact information, uh, whether it's email, uh, there's links for Twitter and Facebook on there. The book is currently an exclusive on Amazon. So you can get it for your Kindle, or you can order paperback on Amazon.com. Uh, there's a link on uh, AJPowers.com as well, or you can just search for it on Amazon. Later this summer, I'm going to have, have it available on uh, iBooks and Nook and Kobo and things like that. It will be a little bit wider uh, release. Awesome. All right, AJ, you have a wonderful day, and um, we'll talk soon. And uh, you know what? When you have your next book out, we look forward to having you again. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.